1: save money, begin to recognize that that you do need to have a rainy day fund. And that means that you're going to watch out for two things that I wish we could spend more time. Number one, avoid impulse spending. Good morning, church. Hey, let's get fit. Do me a favor, take your copy of God's word and turn almost to the end of the book, the third letter that John wrote, Third John. And we're going to be in the only chapter of Third John. And while you're turning there, do me another favor and let's welcome our family that are worshiping with us that we call Mission Hill Six Mile, our Six Mile campus. We welcome them today. We look forward to worshiping four times on three different campuses today. I'm glad you are a part of this service, and we're thankful for those that are joining us online. Here's a truth I want you to know. I've never regretted one dollar I've given away. I've regretted many dollars that I've spent. Today, we're going to talk about the difference. But first, I want to look at that passage of Scripture I had you to turn to. I want to remind you of the context. This letter, it was probably written on one page piece of papyrus. It was written by John, the apostle, one of the original disciples, the author of the Gospel of John, of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, of the book of the Revelation. He was writing specifically to a friend named Gaius, a person who was faithful who was hospitable, who was generous, a person who lived his life in truth and in love. And I just want to remind you of how he began, and then we'll read through the passage we'll focus on today. 3 John, beginning in the first verse. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as... It goes well with your soul for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, we have opened your word, your love letter to us, and we've tuned into this letter that John wrote to Gaius. And now we're asking you to speak in this moment on this day in a very real and irrelevant way. God, we know that your word never returns empty. So we're asking you to fill us up with all that you have. Continue to teach us what we do not yet know. Continue to make us into those men and women, boys and girls that we've not yet become. Continue to show us And give us that which we do not have. God, we want to be pleasing to you as a result of this time here. I pray for that person who may not have a relationship with you, that may be in this room confused and perhaps seeking. Lord, may this be the day of their salvation. And God, we pray that you would allow each of us to grow in our fitness. May we become more like you because we've been here. And Lord, I pray once more that the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you. For you are my strength. You're my redeemer. You're the reason we're here. We worship you. Even as we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Last week, we focused on our spiritual health. And we have this incredible statement by John Gaius in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. And that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. We talked about what it would mean for us to be able to pray that. That everything else in our life would be fit in proportion to how we are spiritually fit. Most of us probably don't want to pray that yet. But that should be a goal as we embark on this new year. May we be so spiritually healthy that we could pray, God, may every other area of our life, may our relationships, may our emotions, may our mental health be equivalent to our spiritual health. We learn this is important because our spiritual fitness brings glory to God and joy to those who love us. I want you just to think about that. John ends this passage by saying to Gaius, nothing brings me greater joy than to know my children, in this case, my spiritual children, are walking in truth. They're walking with the Lord. As parents, as grandparents, we can understand that. John was saying this from a spiritual sense. He he was saying to Gaius, hey, I want you to understand, it brings me great joy to see that you are spiritually fit. And we even learned a process. For spiritual fitness, we talked about the things we need to do because we learned that the process always precedes the product. What we do always is going to impact our outcome in life. I feel led to mention this week, particularly, that from my home state, the Clemson Tigers are now the national champions in college football. And it's no mistake that I just needed to fit that in. It's no mistake that they have a coach who gives great attention to what happens not only on the field, but off the field. He's involved in the process, not just during college football season, but throughout. Well, this is true not Simply in college football or in sports or in these practical things in our life. It's true in our spiritual journey. And so we talked about a process. Let me just remind you of those things real quick. We talked about how we must daily die to self, that we wake up each day and say, God, thank you for waking me up, first of all. Now, this day, I don't want my will, I want your will. This day, I really do what we just sang. I really do surrender all. This way, this day, I I want your ways, your will, and what you teach in your word to be accomplished in my life. Daily die to self. And then we talked about making time daily to get in the word. I gave you so many different practical ways you can do that whether it's to use an app on your phone or just to to find a Bible that you dig into, but to get in the word in some way on a daily basis. And then we talked about spending time daily in personal prayer. I, I really believe it's true. You'll never be more publicly for God than you are privately in your time with God. And that's something we really wanna focus on as we launch into this year. In fact, when you came in today, you received this little card. I'm gonna remind you of this before you leave, but I'm gonna draw attention to it right now because we're asking you to spend the next 21 days in a concerted way, in a focused way in prayer. And we've even given you some prayer points. And we began with you this time. What's your greatest burden? Come up with one sentence that you're focusing on, that you're praying for over these next 21 days. Then we ask, who is your one? What is one person that needs a relationship with Christ that you'll say every day for the next 21 days, I'll pray for this one person. And then we're asking you to pray for something for your church. On Super Sunday, we're launching our third campus. It's a big day on every campus. We're asking you to pray for that day specifically that God will be honored. And then we add something else for you. Hey, look for anything else in your heart about your life and your future and just commit to praying for that for 21 days. I I hope you'll do that today. I hope you've been doing that this last week. And then finally, we talked about pursuing holiness daily, recognizing that though we are saved by grace, we should pursue the holiness of God. So don't raise your hands or answer out loud, but I wonder how you did this week. If, if you weren't as fit as you wanted to be, maybe this should be a reminder that you can still get fit. Well, this week we're gonna talk about financial fitness. And I can already hear it. You didn't say it out loud either, but some of you just internally groaned, oh, this is a Sunday I showed up for financial fitness. I don't need to remind you today that Jesus talked more about our financial health. He talked more about giving than he did about prayer or than he did about healing or than he did about so many of the spiritual things that he teaches us. God's word is filled with truth about our financial fitness, our stewardship. I I don't need to remind you of that today, but I do want to tell you that our financial fitness is an important part of our total fitness. And so we're going to spend some time there. But before we do that, I just need to give a disclaimer. And this disclaimer is is something I said last week. And I just want to remind you, because God has given me the opportunity to stand here and be the spokesman, to be the messenger of his word and his truth today is no pretense that I've got everything together in any area of my life. Every area we're talking about is an area that I'm working on. In fact, if I could wear a sign around my neck, it would be this sign, under construction, because God's not finished with me yet. I love this quote by my friend Ronnie Floyd. He says, fit does not mean you're perfect. Fit means you're working your life continually, becoming all God wants you to become. So that's what we're trying to do together. We're recognizing that in most of these areas, we've got some work to do. Yesterday, I was returning from a trip where I'd taken my parents, my aging parents, back to their home in South Carolina. So uh, I was on an airplane flying back, and one of the things I did was just go through and pray through the prayer requests that you submitted last week. And it was so encouraging to see so many people asking for prayer support as they're seeking fitness and all these different areas of our life, we recognize we're not there yet. There's a lot of crises we hear about in, um, in our world today. Even in the news this week, we've heard about the border crisis. Uh, we hear about the opioid crisis. But I would say, as, as I look across the body of Christ, as, as I look about at the things that are affecting the body of Christ in a significant way, I would suggest to you, we're in a financial crisis. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. simply in the sense that churches or charitable organizations are low in their finances. But financial crisis in the sense that many of us who are followers of Christ, we don't seem to be financially fit as God's word describes. Let me see if I can back that up just with some statistics. How bad is it? Did you know that 59% of divorces say finances played a major role in the breakup of their marriage? Just an interesting figure, the average mortgage debt in our country is $179,806. This is the one that shocks me, though. The average student loan debt by household is $49,042. The average credit card debt is sixteen thousand and sixty one dollars. All this makes up that we as US citizens spend one point two six dollars, a dollar and twenty six cents, for every dollar that we earn. And then of course our national debt is climbing each day more than twenty trillion dollars. And it affects business. Even 80% of the small businesses that open fail in the first five years. And the primary reason they fail is financial problems. So if we recognize there's a challenge out here, I want to give you a second statement. And that is that there are few things in our life that so tied to our spiritual health and indicate our spiritual fitness as our financial fitness Now, why would I say that? Because that's a big statement. I'm going to say it again because you should be thinking, wow, that's big. There are few things in life that are indicators of our spiritual health like our financial health. And to understand that, you've got to understand what the Bible says about all of this, about our, our financial health. So, first let me make some biblical assumptions. The first assumption is this all that I have is a gift from God. If we can't agree on that, we're at we're at different pages. If you can't agree that scripture teaches that no matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter your bank account, everything that you have is a gift from God. That's a biblical principle. The Bible says a lot about money. It says money never satisfies. It says money leads to worry. It says money kept can be money lost. It says money cannot be taken with us to heaven or hell. Done a lot of funerals, never seen a a hearse pulling a u-haul. Still haven't Money is pursued for money's sake is like chasing the wind, according to the Bible. But one thing the Bible says over and over again is that money, like everything else we have, is a gift from God. I think we're in a place of trust, probably, but I want to let you see that Scripture says that, and and so I want to give you a few passages. But one of the best is when King David is challenging the people of Israel to build the temple. His son Solomon would build the temple. King David is challenging them. So he's in, in his challenge, he, he prays to God. And listen to what he says in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that David who was in the lineage of Jesus began this time of prayer praying the way Jesus would teach us to pray, acknowledging that it really is all about a holy God and his kingdom because everything is in his kingdom. So both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all in your hand are power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God and praise your glorious name. But notice what he says, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you. So David is saying, hey, recognize everything we have is from you. And even in this time of giving, all we're doing is giving back to you that which is already yours. If you're in search of wisdom, a great place to look is the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote the, the book of Ecclesiastes and every verse, like Proverbs, is just full of wisdom. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes 5.19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toll, this is a gift of God. Say this, everything I have is a gift from God. You're right. The half-brother of Jesus put it this way in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Well, not only is every good thing I have from God, God expects me to be a faithful steward of that which he has given that's just an expectation. You need to understand that because part of why we come together in a place like this is to dig into God's word, to hopefully walk away a little different. So we're just walking through biblical assumptions. Everything I have is a gift from God and God expects me to be a faithful steward. He's the owner. I'm just a messenger. So there's a, there's a famous phrase we hear often and we hear it in circles like we're in today. We, we hear it when people like us gather because we're mourning the loss of someone uh, who we've loved. We hear that, hey, we just know when our brother, when our sister, when this dear loved one entered into the presence of Jesus, they heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. But that phrase, which is in scripture, Has a specific context. Do you know the the context? Jesus is telling a story about financial stewardship. And it's the steward who has been faithful that Jesus refers to in Matthew 25 and verse 21 when he says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little but I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Hey, I want to tell you something today and just let this settle in. You you can't expect to hear well done if you've not done well. And so this phrase, speaking of our our, our financial stewardship has specific implications. We have to ask, how do we do well? what does God ask? And so this is where I just want to be very, very practical about what Scripture teaches in the area of giving. Scripture teaches from near the beginning throughout the New Testament, so until the end, that for a person who becomes a child of God in the Old Testament, that was through a relationship uh, with, with God, I believe also by grace, but But through the sacrificial system in the New Testament, it's a relationship with God by grace through Jesus. But for that person who has a relationship with God, the starting point for where we look at our stewardship of which God has given us is called in the Bible the tithe. It's it's mentioned in the Old Testament very early as an example of how those who followed God would, would give back first from what they had earned, whether that be in their livestock or whether that be in their produce or whether that be an income, they would give back first to God. And it was a specific amount. It was a tenth. That's what the tithe means. It, it's literally a word which means one-tenth. That's why it's funny. Some Sometimes people come to church and they say, I've got to pay my tithe but they're not thinking about what that word means. So, so they just give whatever they want in the offering plate that day. But a, a tithe does, according to Scripture, have specific meaning. And the meaning is one-tenth. So just to put it in terms, we can all understand what that means is. If I work hard and I, I make $100 in a week, if I'm going to be obedient to that command and give of the biblical tenth, that tithe, then I'm going to give $10 as my starting point. If I worked hard and I made $1,000 that week, my tithe would be $100. If I made $10,000, you get the point, it would be $1,000. That's the biblical principle of the tithe. And he said, say, now, did that continue in the New Testament? Well, in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus was challenged about the tithe. The Pharisees came to him and said, shouldn't we tithe? And Jesus said, yes, tithe, but don't stop there. So Jesus began to introduce something different. He commended the tithe, but then he introduced grace giving, giving in addition. Now, this wasn't really new because even in the Old Testament, there were times, some years, God's children in the Old Testament were challenged to give more than 30%, right at one-third of their income on that particular year. Year. So they were often challenged to give of offerings above the tithe. But when Jesus was challenged, he said, yeah, start with the tithe, but then give of offerings, give beyond that. And then when the church began to function in the New Testament, the apostle Paul, he began to challenge folks. Hey, make sure that you bring that tithe on that first day of the week, but then give out of the proportion of how God has blessed you.